2015 uh, and short of a shot annual uh, let's have a look at what's coming out episode uh, i'm matt risby hello and joining me as always is ed davis how are you doing so all right yeah i'm doing very well um i've got a nice mexican beer and i'm watching the uh, golden globes so if this uh if this episode overruns i may be able to tell everyone exclusively who wins all of the awards although by the time they hear it, hear it everyone will have known yeah so people, anyone who's like, if the NSA are listening in right now, they'll, they'll get the exclusive. Mm. And if the world ends, this is a kind of a unique little time capsule into what was going on right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as I was saying, we're here to talk about um, what's uh, in store for us in 2015. Um, we do this every year. Um, some films we previewed two years ago still haven't come out yet. Um, um, so some of these films you might not see for a while, so brace yourselves. Um, we're going to talk about some TV and also talk about what we're up to this year because, um, believe it or not, listeners, we have actually planned ahead, um, which is, you know, a terrifying thought. Um, I don't suppose you can start any real discussion about films in 2015, Ed, without mentioning Star Wars. Yeah, that definitely is the uh, the £800 gorilla of cinema in 2015. Um, anyone who follows the uh, the business of film knows that 2014 was in america at least a kind of historically bad year for cinema lots of blockbusters came out and underperformed attendance was down money was down it was all terrible all the way around and uh, i think there's definitely a sense this year that things are going to be very different and uh, star wars kind of seems to be the centerpiece to that it's, it's hard to imagine even with three ter- terrible terrible prequels and all of the uh, the bad will surrounding the franchise at this point it's hard to imagine that that film won't be huge and just like a massive part of the cultural conversation it already is because of how people went completely fucking mad for the trailer but um yeah i think that it's hard to think of what the year the year ahead without thinking of that um it's uh, you know a further example of um how hollywood is changing the blockbuster is now an all-year-round affair, um, not just kind of ghettoized into the summer. Um, do you think that it's also, uh, in some way, um, kind of blockbusters wanting to be taken more seriously? I mean, films that traditionally, blockbusters that have traditionally opened in the kind of winter months have been kind of awards fodder, like the Lord of the Rings films have generally been well-represented. Uh, yeah, I think that that is part of it. I also think that it's just a continuation of a, a trend that we've seen since uh, at least 2001, maybe slightly earlier. Well, and, you know, Titanic was, um, I think, one of the first films to really do that, where it opened it over Christmas and just did huge business because everyone was free to go and watch it. And, you know, word of mouth spread. And then you see with Lord of the Rings films and Avatar all followed the same trajectory. So I think it's it's partly to you know, be taken seriously and be entered in or to kind of become part of the conversation of the best films of the year. But I think also it's just, it it commercially makes a huge amount of sense if you have a film that big to release it at one of the most lucrative times of the year. Mm. Do you think it will make money, Ed? Do you think people actually come out and see it? I mean, a trailer is one thing, but, you know, will people actually get involved? 
I think so. I think the kind of enthusiasm and the optimism surrounding the franchise for the first time in a decade is, uh, I think that it will take a, what, a lot to sort of tamp that down. Mm. Um, I think that the trailer did awaken in people uh, a love or, or, or their kind of dormant love for the franchise. Um, mm. Yeah, so I think I think people will show up. Uh, whether or not it becomes like the biggest film ever, which I think it does have potential to do if it does well, if it's good, um, it remains to be seen. But I'd be, I think it'd be very surprising if it wasn't, you know, at least a sizable hit. Yeah, I think it'll probably bring in at least two hundred million dollars. That's my estimation. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty good. I'll I'll go Prices Right style and say it'll bring in two hundred million and one dollars. <laughs> Brilliant! I think you might win this bet. Um, yeah, also likely to bring in around two hundred million dollars this year um, is the Avengers uh, Part Two. I don't even think it's called that. Is it? It's called Age of Ultron. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Disney are looking for quite a bumpy year now. <laughs> they're, mm. they're they're huge multi-billion-dollar purchases of recent years are all kind of coming out at the same time. Um, I think Age of Ultron could be an absolute fucking mess because Marvel don't have a great track record when it comes to second films in a series. Uh, Iron Man 2 wasn't particularly good. Thor 2 wasn't particularly good. Uh, They've really only got, in terms of their sequels, they've only really got Captain America 2, which was good. Um, But I've got, you know, I've got a lot of faith in Joss Whedon, who I think is someone who understands how to make those stories work and how to juggle those that many characters. Uh, yeah, it's just it just any time a film is huge and really loved, and then they come back and it's like, oh, we're adding in all of these villains and we've got all of these different plot strands coming in. You do worry that it's going to kind of become all bloated and uh, Batman and Robin esque. Mm. And we did. I mean, I personally remember saying. Um, the same thing about the first Avengers film. Um, if we wind back the clock to two preview episodes ago, um, I kind of said it would be a mess. And it actually turned out to be one of the better films that year. So, you know, this is the kind of history is on our side. Yes, and also I think that it's hard to uh, overstate the importance of Jane Spader as a creepy robot. Yeah. Can you do any other kind of robot? <laughs> Um, not not since like the early nineties. I think if he was a robot in the eighties, it would have been kind of the charming one and the kind of the foppish one. But I think uh, sex lies and videotapes means that he's always going to be the creepy robot. Right, right, okay, okay. Um, in uh, pre-production, he replaced Steve Carell, who was actually a funny robot. Is that uh, true? Yeah, no, that's a joke about the office. Ed. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Avengers: Age of Ultron probably could do all right. Um, and uh, good luck to it. Um, they need it. Um, now, a film that probably won't make more than $200 million, um, but we're excited about it nonetheless, and uh, um, whenever this man has a film out, it's always worth paying attention. Um, Mr. Tarantino has a film out towards the end of the year. He does, yeah. A film that at one point didn't look like it was going to happen, uh, The Hateful Eight, uh, because... The, he announced he was working on it and then the script leaked and he said he wasn't going to make it and then he held a live reading of it and everyone said, oh, this is really good, this script's pretty cool. And then he said, oh, all right, I'll make it then. Um, and uh, it's coming out, it's another Western um, after Django Unchanged, which is interesting because I don't think he... He's kind of jumped around in genres a fair bit recently. Uh, you know, it's like it's not like the 90s where he did three crime dramas in a row. 
he's someone who's become a bit more uh, varied in style. So it'd be interesting to see what he can do with a a, diff, a very different Western, one that seems to have a much more limited scope in that it seems to be, for the most part, be about a lot of people sat around in a room talking. Um, so it's kind of the most Tarantino-y film imaginable. But, yeah, it's a kind of a chamber piece, isn't it? Hmm, a chamber piece, but he said he wants to shoot it in uh, 70 millimeter and have it be this kind of grand widescreen epic in terms of its visual style, which... Uh, you know, it could be interesting because, uh, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson did essentially the same thing with The Master where he shot it and just used the the big format to really capture the lines of people's faces. Uh, and I think that it, it could be... It's, in my mind, it's just like the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards stretched out to a feature film. And that's pretty much what I wanted Inglorious Bastards to be. So I'm definitely interested to see how it works. And also, you know, he's got a, a pretty fantastic cast assembled for it. Yeah, it's, it's not a shabby cast, is it? It's uh, Channing Tatum, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Walton Goggins, Kurt Russell, Tim Roth, uh, Bruce Dern, Michael Madsen. I mean, people who generally I'd watch sit around talking in a room for a bit. Yeah, it's a lot of lot of his old favourites. And also, you know, Bruce Dern, who was fantastic in Nebraska. I like the idea of seeing him playing someone who sounds like a real dick. <laughs> <laughs> or just like an you know, old Confederate general could could be potential for him to be wonderfully menacing uh, and certainly it would be uh, interesting doing like a retrospect of his work years later to see the difference between him as like doddering old guy in uh, in Nebraska and someone who sounds a lot with a lot like a character has a lot more teeth in this one mm, yeah worth looking out for I mean if it follows the kind of the Django pattern it will come out on Christmas Day won't it I think so yeah it's it's definitely due for December, um, and if it if it does the same sort of business Django did, it will be huge because uh, that was a surprisingly massive hit for for the kind of film it was. Mm, I heard it made between ten and twenty million. Uh, at least that. Mm. Twenty one. Yeah. Twenty one million. Um, here's here's a quandary. Big film coming out. Interesting director. Um, uh, Crimson Peak. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Um, I thought his last film was terrible, uh, Pacific Rim. Um, so what does Crimson Peak hold? Well, uh, it's certainly interesting in terms of if you hear his, if you read some of his interviews on it, because he's described it as being the first film that melds his kind of Spanish style and his American style of filmmaking, because people who know uh, his past work, he makes you know very intimate, small-scale, often very creepy films in Spanish, and then he does the big studio movies. And the few images of Crimson Peak that have been released definitely they definitely look like his Spanish work. It's all very kind of gothic and and looks very um lush and and wonderfully appointed, but obviously in uh English, so that's the kind of the big difference but i I do greatly look forward to seeing uh you know him returning to something a little smaller because i i mean i I liked Pacific Rim and like you i I quite enjoyed it. But, you know, big blockbustery uh, Guillermo del Toro is not really my favourite Guillermo del Toro. I like the tiny, intimate one. So this definitely uh, looks like a return to that. So uh, give me a, a precy of, uh, of, uh, of Crimson Peak. What's, kind of, uh, what's going down in that? Uh, I think the actual kind of details of the plot are fairly 
uh, thin. It's just he's when he talks about it, it's mainly just uh, gives it a sense of the atmosphere, which is that it's a a kind of a ghost story or a haunted house story in the style of uh, like a Henry James short short story, uh, and basically people going back to a childhood house and being menaced. But it's got a you know a great cast. This the central foursome: Charlie Hunnam, who can be good, uh, Jessica Chastain, who's great, Tom Hiddleston, who seems like the perfect fit for a kind of gothic, uh, potentially very pulpy uh, ghost story. And uh, Mia Vajikowska, who I think is is probably my favourite actress working today, certainly like favourite young actress. So anything she's involved with, you know, I'll be there on opening night. Yeah, she's pretty great in everything. Uh, yeah, uh, apart from maybe Alice in Wonderland, although mm, tough day at the office. Yeah, I think... Her her career is I, I find fascinating because she did make the uh one huge monumental uh blockbuster hit and then uh she's done nothing on the same scale since. She just like clearly took that paycheck and said, Okay, I'll do all the like the little films I want to make and she's pretty much stuck to that, although she is doing the sequel as well to Wonderland, so I guess the mortgage payments need uh need seen too. Yeah, she's got her eight, do you know what I mean? Um <laughs> Uh, Boyhood was one of our favourite films of last year. Um, and wouldn't you know it, Richard Linklater has got a film out this year. Uh, it's called That's What I'm Talking About and is described as a spiritual sequel to Dazing and Fuse, which could only be a good thing. Yeah, and also it's set in the world of college baseball, which also sounds uh, very uh, interesting. Seems like the sort of thing that could be uh, incredibly you know, fun and entertaining because he's, he's someone who clearly really understands that that uh, kind of Americana imagery. Mm. And uh, um, if if it does follow in the, the vein of Days of the Confused, uh, it will make no money, but it will be endlessly watch, rewatchable for literally decades to come. I've heard he's been filming it for 24 years. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, but it's like he only shot a second at a time and he'll just kind of drop them <laughs> in randomly. So... Could be good, could make no sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, um, another film that we're talking, that we, well, that we're talking about that we're we're excited about. Um, excited could be the wrong word because this film's probably going to be a complete misery fest. Um, the Look of Silence, which is uh, the follow-up to um, the Act of Killing a documentary we saw a couple of years ago, which shocked us to our very core. And, uh, you know, keen-eared listeners will remember, I couldn't eat a burrito because of it, because I felt I was very upset. Um, but The Look of Silence um, from Joshua Oppenheimer, um, who also invented the atomic bomb. I don't know if you uh, uh, knew that. Um, but, yeah, this is a film about the same kind of genocide or a similar genocide from the victim's perspective. Yeah, it's it's, it's got a similar kind of high-concept premise. It's, again... It's uh, about the Indonesian genocide, but this time, instead of going around and uh, getting the perspective of the killers, he gets a brother of uh, someone who was killed by the uh, as part of the uh, the genocide, who now is a an eye doctor, and they basically get the men who are responsible for killing his brother to come in for eye exams and confront them about it. Uh, yeah, which sounds like it will put as off all manner of Mexican food. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the reviews that have come out about it say that it's even better and more harrowing than the act of killing, which really 
uh, must be saying something because that's one of the most harrowing films I've ever seen. Uh, so yeah, I'm definitely anticipating it. It's hard to say you're looking forward to being subjected to something like that, but you know, the first film was so sort of fantastic that, and I really do want to see a kind of companion piece to it in, in that respect. Mm. I'm looking forward to being harrowed, uh, by that when it comes out. Um, it can't be that long because it, it was at Sundance, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure last year. Yeah, I think it's coming out in the summer. So, you know, if you... Big blockbuster. Yeah, if you can't get into the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be um, uh, a good alternative. Um, whilst we're on the subject of harrowing films, um, Pixar have got two films out this year, which is kind of good because um, Pixar have had a bit of trouble of late. And when I say trouble, I mean... Um, you know, their films haven't been quite as good as they could have been, which for me is disastrous because I don't think they've made a very good film for a long time. Yeah, I think, although I do like, like, I don't hate Bray, I think it's fine. And I did think there was some really good stuff in Monsters University. You do have to go back to Toy Story 3. So we're looking at five years since they put out a film that you could kind of unequivocally look at and say, yeah, that's pretty much a masterpiece. Mm. And then before then you know it was pretty much an unbroken string of uh, at worst very good films um although cars you know cars is pretty mediocre but they would they were on a pretty great tear and then they haven't been of late but i do like the look of both their new films uh uh inside out which takes a very kind of pixar premise of you know taking emotions inside of a young girl and her parents and the people in the world and giving them actual physical form and personalities, which is, you know, a very cute idea and uh, is given added kind of brilliance by the fact they cast Amy Poehler as the uh, voice of the character Joy, which I think Mm -hmm. is pretty much the best casting you could ever ask for. Um, And then The Good Dinosaur, about which very little is known, except that it was meant to come out last year and they delayed it because they had to, they felt that it wasn't working and it needed retooling. So that one, there's a big question mark over it, but I'm still very, very excited to see how that one turns out because, you know, they've done that in the past. They had to retool Toy Story 2 pretty much from the ground up. They had to retool Toy Story 3. They had to retool Ratatouille, and they all turned out pretty good. They did. They did. I wonder what they were doing in the first place. I think they said uh, that Ratatouille was meant to be sort of more Altman-esque. <laughs> um, like that, really? that was the term that was used for it. I think it was more of a, an ensemble thing about the people who worked in the kitchen uh, than oh. it was just about Remy. Um, and, but I think in the case of Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3, it was they were being developed as like direct-to-DVD sequels and they were pretty terrible. Well, I think that the bold choice they made to make it less Altman-esque and more about the rat made sense for story and also the title. Yeah, it would have been very weird if, like, it started off with a rat and then the camera just kind of drifted off and then he didn't show up again until the very, very end, like yeah. in uh, Nashville. Yeah, and people just mumble each other, over each other in, in a room. That's pretty much um, me oversimplifying Rob Altman's cinematic style. Um, yeah, also with two films out this year, hogging all the limelight, uh, Noah Baumbach, who uh, obviously last year, uh, sorry, year before last, uh, Francis Ha was our favourite film of the year. Um, so, you know, two films from him this year, that's a treat. Absolutely, and they also sound like they're films that have come from very different perspectives. He's made the first one, 
which is uh, due for theatrical release in, I think, March. It's called While We're Young, which stars Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts as kind of a, a couple in their 40s who start making friends with a young couple played by Amanda Seyfried and Adam Driver, who are kind of young hipstery types, and they kind of uh, start hanging out. Well, hang on, hang on. Stop a minute there, Ed. Okay. Adam Driver playing a hipster. <laughs> I know, it's a stretch. Oh, wow. But And that... that uh, knocks them out of their complacency and makes them re-examine where they are in life. So it feels very much like him commenting on where he is in his own life because I think he's probably had similar experiences since working with and going out with Greta Gerwig. And then they've also, uh, he and, and Gerwig have reteamed for a film called Mistress America, which I, I believe was sort of a, a more, like like a Francis Ha, something that was shot very quickly with them working together very closely. And that's, debuting at Sundance will probably come out at the end of the year so I'm very much looking forward to seeing him in both kind of scabrous Greenberg mode and more or hopefully kind of more light-hearted and hopeful Francis Ha mode okay yeah absolutely um quick time check Ed we're at 20 minutes now it's not bad. um so yeah not bad um so yeah we, we've got like Ed said at the, the top of the episode um Last year wasn't a great year financially for Hollywood. I mean, they scraped by, but, you know, wasn't the best. This year, there is quite a lot of big films out, in addition to the ones we've mentioned. Uh, we've got things like um, Jurassic World, which is, um, you know, probably going to be a big hit. We've got another Terminator film coming out, which um, looks terrible. Um, we've got um, another Furious Fast and can we do it? Is it a Furious film or is it just a Fast and Furious film? I don't understand what they're calling them anymore, Ed. Uh, I think it's just a Furious film. And uh, what number Furious is it? Uh, seven. Okay. Is it not? Is it no longer Fast? Is it just angry? Uh, well, I think they're they're avenging a uh, character's death, so I think they'll mainly be angry for most of it. Okay. But sure. Sure. They'll just they'll just be ambling around. Mm. Um, both Jurassic World and Terminator um, uh, kind of attempts to re-energise uh, kind of franchises that have kind of not really been in anyone's kind of main interest for the best part of 10 years now. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Jurassic World seems like it might have a better chance at it because they've, they've got Colin Trevorrow who directed the film... Um, uh, oh, fuck. The time travel one with Audrey Plaza. Safety not guaranteed. Yeah. I was going to say batteries not included, but I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so he's a he's a, he's a a promising uh, young director. The trailer doesn't give me a huge amount of hope because obviously you have stuff like uh, hybrid dinosaurs, but it also has Chris Pratt at his most Harrison Ford-like. So mm. I think that it, it hopefully be good. You know, dinosaurs... Killing people should be should be fun, hopefully, but well, not for the people. Well, yeah, uh, but at the same time, you know, the Jurassic Park franchise doesn't have the greatest uh, track record. You're looking at one good film out of three so far. Mm. And you say that's a good film. I, as a massive dinosaur nut, am still deeply begrudged by some of the scientific inaccuracies of those species. You know, it makes me fucking mad. Um, which, you know, we get into Jurassic World, you know, they may as well just start inventing dinosaurs because they've already done it. Mm, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, the Terminator one looks pretty lame. It does. I mean, I like some of the casting. I like them class- uh, 
casting dragon tits, as you call her, as Sarah Connor. Um, mm. And I do like, I like the idea of them going in and like messing with the chronology of the original trilogy to create their own timeline. Uh, but at the same time, I don't, the, the idea of an old Terminator looks really silly, especially because it just kind of plays into the trend of Arnie playing old guys who like have a bad hip but can still kick ass. Mm. Which, you know, it's, it's not really that promising. But again, the Terminator franchise is another one that is uh, has been kind of kicked about so much over the sort of mid 30 years that it's been around that I think it, it's hard to feel like it will ruin it. Mm, yeah. Um, got another Hunger Games film coming out that will kind of make a fuck ton of money. Uh, the Mission Impossible films, uh, I, I, you know, they keep making money and they're, they're into number five now. Um, there is a, a Bond film out after Skyfall being very successful uh, at the box office, but also actually Shock Horror, actually really quite good. Yeah, and they can finally use Spectre again after years and years of it being caught up in various lawsuits. So uh, I think that could be interesting, but at the same time, I, 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 it, it to me it suggests danger for the franchise ahead just because I don't want to see another franchise that gets really bogged down in like big fighting big conspiracy enemies that keep coming back over and over. Like the thing I've liked about uh, Casino Royale and Skyfall is they were, you know, they were reasonably self-contained and then Quantum Solace was uh, suffered from essentially just having to continue on the story of Casino Royale and not be its own thing. And I think that Spectre itself could be pretty good. And, you know, Christoph Waltz is a great bit of casting. Um, and Leah Sadu, who's, who's like great, wonderful actress so that there's lots of things to like about it but i don't know that at the same time i just think this could like ruin the next two or three bond films if they get really bogged down in the specter stuff mm. um we talked about jurassic world and, and terminator being a kind of franchises that no one's given a shit about for a while they all of a sudden they're being kind of uh, revived um to take that idea to an extreme um we've got a new mad max film coming out which you know, never really a good idea when there's such a big gap between films and franchises, especially not when the last film was Beyond Thunderdome and had Tina Turner in it. Um, but when the trailer dropped about a month ago, everyone was uh, taken aback because it looked absolutely fucking mental. Yeah, uh, I, I saw everyone talking about it on Twitter and then I didn't watch it because I thought, this trailer sounds so good, I really want to see it on the biggest screen possible. And then I went to the cinema to see something just before Christmas and it did play before it. And I was like, wow, this looks like a lot of fucking fun. <laughs> yeah. It's the original, the original director's come back for it as well. And the original director being, uh, George Miller who directed, uh, I think all three of the original tr- trilogy plus the film babe. Uh, he didn't direct babe. He directed babe picking the city. Did, I thought he did. I thought he did both. He wrote both. Oh, okay. But sure. someone else directed uh, babe. He also directed both happy feet films. So he's a, and, and Lorenzo's oil, so he's a, a man of many talents. Wow, he'd be, be like this talking animal shit isn't working out for me. Let's go back to uh, throwing cars around, <laughs> exactly, and kind of uh, S and M gear. Yeah, it, it does look look really cool. Obviously, Tom Hardy is a great non racist choice to play Max, <laughs> um, and uh, I do like Nicholas Holt. I think he's a very very fun actor, and uh, I like the fact that he is completely unrecognizable in all of that weird face paint in the trailer. So, yeah. um, and Charlize Theron can be very good in big budget roles, but not 
generally, but she she seems to be having a lot of fun in the trailer. So uh, at the very least, the action looks spectacular. So hopefully we can uh, we can look forward to that. Um, we've got um, which could be you know we try and predict a flop every year, um, kind of just generally what they come up and. We've got a pretty bad record of doing it, apart from John Carter. We got right. Well, you got right. Um, we we said that Guardians of the Galaxy was a bit of a risk last year, um, and how wrong we we proved to be there. Um, although it did prove us right, we said if that if that succeeds, they can do anything. But Marvel have got a film called Ant Man coming out this year, which um, the reaction to has been quite kind of lukewarm, shall we say. Yeah, the uh, the first trailer dropped this week, and the response was generally pretty lackluster. There wasn't, and to be fair, there wasn't a huge amount on display there in terms of the effects or the action or anything. So there wasn't kind of a standout moment to really draw upon. But I think it, it's a film that comes uh, weighed down by so much kind of bad press, particularly in terms of Edgar Wright leaving the film and Peyton Reed coming on. Peyton Reed, who's a pretty good director, you know, he's done some interesting stuff in the past, but obviously just coming into an absolute uh, kind of shit show. <laughs> um, just something, a, a terrible situation that you really wouldn't want to be drawn into where you're taking over someone's job on a really high-profile film and everyone's talking about you. So it seems yeah. like there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of, of not ill will, but there's certainly a lot of bad buzz around it. I think it could probably still do well because all Marvel films do well, um, but... I would not be surprised if it ends up being their least successful since the uh, the second Hulk film, which I think is still mm. probably the, the least successful that they've put out for a while. Mm. Um, it's a weird thing as well, isn't it? That like, whilst also kind of conjuring up the vibe of a substitute teacher who's taken over the baddest class for the day, um, Peyton Reed's also up against it. The, when it comes out, all anyone's going to talk about is, oh, I wonder what Edgar Wright's version of this would have been like. Mm, and also because so, he was so heavily involved for so long and he did so much of the pre-production, you know, he's even if it does turn out well, there'll probably still be a certain percentage of people will be just kind of like, you can really see like Edgar Wright's influence in the way all of the uh, the the effects were staged and everything. Mm. So he's in, a, yeah. he's in a bad way. Mm. Yeah, one to, one to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, Hope will be kind of pleasantly surprised by it. Um, because you know it could be great. Um, we've got a couple of original blockbusters out there, which are kind of you know few and far between uh, these days. We've got uh, Tomorrowland, which uh, looks promising from uh, Brad Bird. Yeah, and it has uh, a trailer which does something very very simple but immensely effective, which is the moment in the trailer where the young girl who's like the hero of it picks up a badge, and when she touches it. Uh, she's transported to another place and it's just a simple match cut um <laughs> just like two completely unrelated shots put together but the way it's uh framed is so seamless that it is kind of one of those uh you know this is like the magic of cinema sort of things where something so simple can be so effective and uh mm-hmm. i think that the the film could be very good i like the idea of it being gay and original fantasy i love brad bird's work i think he's a really great director i mean we talked about uh, Mission Impossible films. I thought that he did a great job with the uh, with the fourth uh, Mission Impossible film as his live action debut. So I think moving into sort of combining the the skill he showed there for action and suspense with you know going back to sort of the sci fi 
or retro futurist uh, trappings of something like the Iron Giant and uh, the Incredibles uh, is it's very kind of tantalising proposition. Also, out towards the end of the year, uh, we've got a film from Ridley Scott, which doesn't fill me with much hope, especially seeing it's a sci-fi film uh, called The Martian. Yeah, I mean, I read the novel that's based on. The novel is great. I mean, it's a really, really good uh, film uh, novel about a guy who's on a manned mission to Mars who ends up being left behind due to a number of uh, terrible mishaps. His crew think that he's dead, but he is actually alive and he basically has to try and figure out a way of surviving on Mars with the very scant uh, supplies that he has. And the novel is, is really good in that it is about process. It's entirely about him figuring out solutions to all these problems that are uh, assailing him and about the people on Earth realising he's alive and trying to put together their own solution. And it's got, got kind of a fun, dark, slightly wacky sense of humour to it. None of which are things that I associate with Ridley Scott. <laughs> um, mm. uh, I can't imagine that they'll keep the same kind of methodical, uh, kind of working through things pace that the novel has in the film and they'll make it a bit more generic. But uh, the, the the source material is so strong and he has assembled such an, an interesting cast. Like, you know, you've got Jessica Chastain, who's in everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, Matt Damon, who's uh, an actor I like a great deal. You know, he's got... There's there's lots of things that could work in it, so here's hoping. But yeah, Scott's not really made a really great film for a very long time. Mm. So not since Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, that would be my that would be my thing. He made two great films thirty years ago, is how I've often described Ridley Scott. Um, but you know, I think he's he's one of those guys because he makes films so often now. You just kind of think, well, he's got to get it right at least once. So maybe just a law of averages, yeah. Yeah, so maybe this will be the one. Mm. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. Um, I think the last film we're going to talk about that you probably won't be able to avoid uh, this year is uh, the inevitable film adaptation of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, which uh, has been rated R in the US for unusual behaviour, which uh, I think means like... Uh, Bumming. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking it was going to be things like flying a kite at night. Or trying to eat soup with a fork, because that's oh, all, right. that's unusual. That is me. quite unusual. So yeah, so but yeah, that I don't have a great deal of hope that it'll turn out to be very good. Uh, I'm very disappointed in Sam Taylor Wood, who I thought had a pretty decent debut with Nowhere Boy, um, for her to kind of go to something that's clearly going to be for her very financially uh, gratifying, but. I can't imagine that the uh, li- even the limits of the R rating will make it the kind of steamy sex romp that all the fans of the book want it to be. And mm. I, I can't imagine there'll be a huge amount there of interest to people who haven't uh, masturbated furiously to the book to uh, to enjoy. Um, mm. Having said this, like in like four weeks' time, we'll be talking about how like it's got amazing reviews and it's one of the best films of the year. That's I I think that's unlikely, but. Um, yeah, that just seems like one that everyone is going to come out and everyone's just going to be sort of really ashamed on every level. <laughs> I, I thought if you were a big fan of uh, some of the stuff that happens in the book, you'd just watch Grumble online. You wouldn't go to cinema and start jacking it, surely. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't anyway. I'd wait till that Pixar film was out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, if it's great, you probably wouldn't be able to move for that 
at some point this out this year, but yeah, that could be dreadful. It probably will be dreadful. Let's be honest. I feel, um, I feel kind of sorry for the actors involved because it seems like it, they're going to end up being the new like Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. In that, there'll be actors who can who probably have a certain degree of talent and who are, you know, can do good work, but they're just going to be labelled as being these two characters for like years and years and years. Which, in what sounds like, I mean, I've not read the book, but it just. Sounds like, um, you know, a you know, slightly more upmarket version of the Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah, that's the sense I get of it. Mm. Um, yeah, they're very unsavoury. And speaking of unsavoury, segue, um, fans of the show will know uh, that every year we try and keep people um, abreast of uh, what's going on in the world of Michael Bay, uh, the uh, cinematic menace um, that kind of haunts our every year. We can't avoid him. Uh, he does stuff and we have to watch it. It's disgusting. We feel terrible about it. Um, but we, we kind of like to keep the uh, general public informed um, so they can avoid it uh, if they possibly can. In a little segment we like to call Michael Baywatch. So, Ed, uh, what's he up to? He's uh, he's got a pretty quiet year cinematically. He's producing a bunch of TV shows, and from what I understand, like the TV shows that come out under his banner are not too bad, not great, but you know they're not absolutely reprehensible. Um, the only film he's got coming out that I can see this year is a film called Project Almanac, which is coming out later this uh, later this month, I think, or next month. And it's uh, if you watch the trailer, it's just basically primer for dicks. Um, <laughs> right. It's like a found footage time travel film um, about people who develop time travel and they go back and, oh, there's a butterfly effect and all things are going wrong. And yeah, the trailer doesn't, it just looks terrible, but it will make money because it's got a very uh, commercially viable, very cheap to make gimmick. Um, So yeah, so it's just, yeah, it just looks terrible, (laughs) really awful. Mm. Uh, But, you know, that's what we've come to expect. I'd watch a film called Project Caramac. Um, <laughs> a film in which even if Michael Bay directed it because I'm a big fan of that hard to find chocolate bar it's not even a chocolate bar, I don't know what it is what is Caramac, is that an element on the periodic table? Uh, yeah I think so, I think it's one of those ones at the bottom that they just kind of assume exists and they'll fill it in when they find it mm, yeah, yeah, I that's think, that's what I thought I think I would watch it if it was uh, Project Anorak and it was, just, right. it was just about train spotters who developed time travel and just go back to see the first train and there's no drama. They just go back and watch it and go, all right, and then go home. Yeah. But and like, any female, down. yeah, any female characters aren't introduced with a kind of low lingering upskirt shot, <laughs> which is kind of Michael Bay's trademark for those who don't know. And then everything explodes and you can't really tell what's happening. Um, okay. That unpleasantness out of the way. Um, let's talk about some of the curiosities that we're going to see this year. Uh, some films that we'll describe them to you. They're going to sound fucking weird. They could be good, could be terrible, we're not sure. Uh, we've got Jupiter Ascending, which is a film we talked about last year, which still hasn't landed yet. I think that's going to be dumped uh, unceremoniously um, at some point in the next month or two. That's the uh, uh, Wachowski's new film. Yeah, with uh, Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis. Channing, Channing Tatum with um, elf ears, by the looks of things, and jet boots. The, mm. uh, the trailers make it look absolutely mental. <laughs> it's like a real sort of a, a dune style space opera with what looks like lots of very uh, complicated uh, dynastic relations and 
a lot of uh, just really mad uh, visuals. And uh, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of of Cloud Atlas, and I, I think that the Wachowskis are people with a great deal of uh, great deal of talent, and they're they're capable of sort of uh, visualizing these amazing and and incredibly deranged worlds and uh i'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with jupiter ascending it could be a complete mess it probably will be a complete mess but i'm i'm legitimately like hugely excited to see what kind of a mess they create Mm, absolutely um we've got a film called end of the tour which tantalizingly gives us um what could be a horrifying prospect of uh uh, jason seagal playing um david foster wallace yeah, um, based on a book called uh, "In the End, You End Up Becoming Yourself," which is uh, about this. It's a book uh, written by a journalist called David Lipsky, who's played by Jesse Eisenberg in the film. He went on a book tour with David Foster Wallace uh, just after Infinite Jest came out, and he just kind of followed him around for about a week and sort of talked to him about life and and his work and everything. And the book's really really great. It's essentially just a entire book long length conversation of them in various hotel rooms talking to each other and it's really entertaining and it's really kind of uh, invigorating and fun and uh, i i like the I, I like james ponsolt who directs it directs it um he did a film called the spectacular now a few years ago which got really good reviews with, with miles teller and uh the girl from divergent Shaleen Woodley. Yes, Shaleen Woodley. And also he directed a film called Smashed from a few years ago with uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Aaron Paul, which is really, really good. Um, and I think that there is potential for it to be really good, but at the same time, I, I, I'm not sure they'll have the uh, courage of their convictions to make a film which is essentially, uh, you know, like a My Dinner with Andre style film about just two people talking about art. Mm. which is what I would love for it to be. But I wonder if they'll be able to actually commit to that and not make it just kind of an indie by numbers inspirational drama. Mm. It's open. Um, I think probably award for weirdest film of the year, or definitely up there, uh, a film called Grimsby, uh, which is set in the titular town. Uh, It's directed by Louis Leterrier, who uh, I think he last directed the Incredible Hulk film. Maybe that wasn't his last film, but certainly one that made him quite famous. It's uh, written by and starring Sasha Baron Cohen as a football hooligan um, and also stars Isla Fisher, uh, Rebel Wilson, Penelope Cruz, Mark Strong, Ian McShane and Gabri Sidibe. Um, What is going on there? That sounds incredible, but also like it's going to be the biggest fucking mess. Um, I like Sasha Baron Cohen a lot. I think he's a, a very gifted performer. I think that he can be a great when he's in or certainly in something like Borat where he takes a fictional character and then puts him with the real people and forces them to reveal something of themselves through their discomfort. His, uh, his track record with fictional works uh, is not as good. Um, and I'm not sure exactly why he would want to work with Louis Leterrier, who doesn't seem like someone who would really be, uh, who would really suit his particular style. Mm, um, some of the deft comic touch. No. So uh, I think it could be uh, an absolute fucking disaster. Um, it probably will be. But um, I, I, I'm always interested to see what um, Sasha Baron Cohen is, is up to, even though I think he's probably, at this point, far past the peak of his powers. Um, 
We've got a film that I'm interested to see just to see if it even actually happens, a film called uh, Jane Got a Gun, which uh, a film which has had, I think, I mean, I was directing it at one point and I dropped out. <laughs> it's had about seven or eight different directors. The only the only constant has been Natalie Portman. The the male leads changed about four times. Uh, supporting cast has dropped in and out. And I, I don't even know who's in it anymore. Uh, I, I was briefly in the part played by uh, Jude Law. Right. <laughs> But like, then they realised I'm not an actor, and they decided they should probably go with someone who's an actor. Mm. But yeah, you're right. It's a film that at this point is known primarily for its uh, very, very difficult production. Uh, Lynn Ramsey, who was the original director, left in circumstances that are still very mysterious. Uh, it's unclear if it was her fault or the producers. And then people kept dropping in and out because they said, "Oh, I wanted to work with Lynn Ramsey," and then. Uh, Gavin O'Connor, who directed the film Warrior, which is uh, quite quite a decent film, um, is now involved, and it definitely seems like it's going to be a less interesting film than when Lynn Ramsey was involved, because she's obviously someone with a very distinct eye and a very clear vision. But uh, at this point, I just want to, st- it, 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 in similar to Ant Man, at this point, you just want to see it to see if all of the drama and the fuss was worth it. Mm, absolutely, it's a little bit like. Um, the cast of this is a little bit like the lineup to the fall. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's been one constant, and uh, uh, Natalie Portman is uh, is our Marquis Smith in this in this instance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, interesting to see if that arrives. Um, really, kind of peculiar sounding film uh, called Last Days of the Devil, uh, in which Ewan McGregor plays both Jesus and the devil in an imagined chapter from the Bible. Yeah, Ewan McGregor is a very interesting actor. He can be completely terrible and he can be brilliant. Um, I'm hoping since he's playing two characters, he'll be both. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that that certainly sounds like a, a potentially interesting, potentially disastrous film. Yeah. Um, uh, we've got a film which I'm fascinated by. It's directed by Bill Condon, who uh, did uh, Dreamgirls and uh, let's not forget one of the Twilight sequels, I believe. Um, but he is directing a film called Mr. Holmes in which Ian McKellen stars as an old Sherlock Holmes. What could go wrong? Mm, I, I'm I'm very, very curious about that one. Uh, I, I like... There's been a bunch of kind of elderly Sherlock Holmes stories over the years. I believe Michael Chabon wrote one. Well, he couldn't call him Sherlock Holmes, but he basically was. Uh, wrote a, a story which was essentially the same sort of thing of, uh, I believe, Sherlock Holmes investigating a Nazi or something. And I, I do like the idea of taking a character out of their kind of literary comfort zone and where people, what people associate with them and uh, making them do interesting and new things. And, uh, you know, McKellen is a great actor. I think he can be uh, really great in the right role. And I think there's no one I can think of who would be a better choice to play an elderly Sherlock Holmes than him. Yeah, absolutely. So it's got that kind of uh, appeal to it, if even if it's terrible. Um, worth seeing. Now, I did say that uh, the Grimsby film was the uh, weirdest sounding film on the list. Uh, it isn't. Uh, the weirdest sounding film on this list is a film called The Lobster, which is uh, from the Greek director Yorgos Lanthimos, who directed Dogtooth, which is a film of which certainly I was very fond. I'm not sure if you actually saw it, did you, Ed? Uh, that's one I still need to catch up on, to my shame. Well, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. He did another film called Alps, which is uh, even kind of stranger. Uh, than Dogtooth, which is hard to say because Dog- Dogtooth is actually pretty fucking odd. Um, but The Lobster, his new film, I'll pitch it to you, thus said. It's a film, it's his first English language film. It's a film in which, uh, it's a romantic drama, a film in which people who are single, lonely people, 
um, in a world where if they don't find a mate within 45 days, they will get turned into animals. Right. Um, it does. Is it just in Long getting turned into a walrus in this one? <laughs> He's not down in the cast, but the, the <laughs> cast does include Colin Farrell, okay. uh, Rachel Weisz, uh, Ben Whishaw, and Olivia Colman. Oh, that's a very cool and weird, weird cast. Yeah, um, it's. I, I still haven't quite computed what's going on there. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm always fascinated when um, foreign directors come and and make their English language debut, and I'm not entirely sure if this is a, would be considered a Hollywood debut. Uh, it definitely doesn't sound like it's something that's got major studio backing. But mm-hmm. um, from what I've heard of, of his first two films, he sounds like a someone with a very distinct and weird vision. And I I do really uh, look forward to seeing whatever he does next. Mm, absolutely. Um, I'm going to move on now to talk about, we're going to kind of rush through, because uh, we realised when we sat down to start recording this that there is about kind of 200 films that are of interest, but we're going to kind of rush through uh, a few films um, that are of note that we haven't really had time to talk about at more length. Um, my most anticipated film of the year, um, even more than Star Wars, uh, even more than uh, Jurassic World, um, Pitch Perfect 2, obviously, um, sequel to um, greatest film of all time, Pitch Perfect. Um, I've, just got, I've just got a horrible air of sequelitis about it, Ed. Yeah, I think the, the the first one did feel like a, a lightning the bottle sort of thing in terms of taking that concept and making it work. Um, although I've, I think the sequel will probably be a bigger hit. Uh, yeah, I, I'm very dubious about whether it'll be all that good. Yeah, Elizabeth Banks is directing this, and you know, let's not forget she did direct a segment of movie forty three. So the film's in safe hands. Um, <laughs> we've got a uh, Knight of Cups. Mister Terence Malick's got another film. He's becoming a bit fucking prolific. He didn't make a film for like twenty seven years, and then all of a sudden he's knocking him out like Woody Allen. Yeah, uh, I like the idea of him doing a, a story set outside of sort of the usual milieu for him. You know, he's he's setting it in. Uh, Sort of the music industry. I like uh, Christian Bale's an interesting choice, assuming he remains in the final cut. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the thing with Ter- Terence Malick films is that they can release the uh, plot synopsis, and it could, it might not even remotely resemble what ends up on the screen. But I, uh, yeah, like Malick, I'm, I wasn't a huge fan of his last film, uh, To the Wonder. I kind of thought that was a bit shit. Um, but uh, he is someone with a very kind of unique vision. Someone who is you know, one of the really great, genuine artists working in film today. And I look forward to anything he does, whether or not I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Wong Kar Wai's got a new film out, The Ferryman. Um, he's got Tony Young in it again, surprise, surprise. Um, ben Wheatley's got a film out, a new film out, J.G. Ballard adaptation, uh, High Rise. That sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I mean, the, the book's great. It's very dark and satirical and... Uh, I think it seems like a really perfect choice for uh, for Ben Wheatley if you because there's a lot of darkness, a lot of violence, and a lot of horror in it, and uh, also a lot of humour, which really does kind of fit with the stuff he's done in the past, particularly uh, Sightseers, which in scope and genre is very, very different to what High Rise is, but I think in tone could be a very good match. Mm. After the the uh, train wreck that was This Is Forty, which was uh, pretty fucking terrible. Uh, Judd Apatow is back with a film called... Oh, it's called Trainwreck. Uh, it's almost like I planned that. Um, 
Uh, it's got Bill Hader in it, that's all I can say. Mm, but it's also written and stars Amy Schumer, who's a fantastic uh, stand-up over here, very raunchy, but also very socially conscious, very feminist. She's got a, a fantastic sketch show called Inside Amy Schumer. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how well her style and her aesthetic will transfer to a feature film, but uh, I'm certainly interested to see it happen. I'm also quite, uh, quite. I think it's quite cool that uh, Judd Apatow has built a whole film around her, even though she is not exactly a big name. Yeah, I mean, it's got a pretty kind of A-list supporting cast, uh, so, you know, it could suffer from Apatowitis. Um, although, you know, he, he's he's not got... A, you know, his last couple of films have been um, kind of overreached uh, as trying to be dramedies and, and not really worked out. So hopefully a kind of return to being funny might might be a good idea. Mm, hopefully. Mm. Um, we've got a pretty interesting update of Macbeth uh, coming this year. Um, we've got uh, well, what is fantastic casting as uh, uh, Michael Fassbender uh, as Macbeth and uh, Marion Cotillard as uh, Lady Macbeth, which is, everyone knows, the best part in the play. Um, and uh, if that wasn't good enough, we've got the guy who directed the Snowtown film um, behind the the camera. That's a pretty kind of tantalising prospect. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, everyone always tries to reinvent Shakespeare and some the people are some people are more successful at it than others. I like the idea of taking those two actors and giving it to someone who seems to have a very brutal yet lyrical style and hopefully they'll be able to do something new with the play um and, and Macbeth is Robert between that or, or Othello is are my favorite Shakespeare plays so I'm really excited to see what they can do with that um I'm looking forward to a film called uh, St. James Place which is the new Steven Spielberg film it's a uh, drama set in the Cold War surrounding the incident in 1960 in which a in which a U-2 uh, spy plane was shot down over Russia and Tom Hanks plays kind of a a lawyer who is roped into helping to try and negotiate the freeing of the pilot. Uh, I think that there's a lot of potential there for it to be a, one of Spielberg's, you know, in, this, in the vein of something like Catch Me If You Can, you know, a, a drama, thriller sort of thing, period film with a lot of energy and a lot of zest to it. And it's notable because it's written by um, the Coen brothers. Mm, although their track record as uh, just writers of a film is not great because you've got uh, that film they did with Sam Raimi set in the Crime Wave. They've got Crime, Crime Wave. Wave. You've got the remake of Gambit, <laughs> which is oh, probably, shit, yeah. Yeah, by all accounts awful, uh, and Unbroken, which is uh, aggressively mediocre. So mm. <laughs> hopefully this will break their street as uh, not particularly distinguished screenwriters. Um. Yeah, speaking of premier directors like Spielberg, uh, Mr. Scorsese, who, um, as we know, uh, did uh, some of his best work in decades with Wolf of, Wolf of Wall Street last year, um, he's got a film out uh, called Silence, which is, is it about uh, Jesuit priests uh, kind of on a mission? Yeah, going. Uh, it's uh, based on a novel which was also uh, adapted as a film in the, I think, in the 70s, uh, essentially about a couple of Jesuit priests who... Uh, go to Japan to track down their mentor who is believed to uh, have committed an act of blasphemy or, or who uh, they believe has kind of lost his faith, their, his faith. Uh, and Scorsese has described it as a thriller about priests trying to hide their religion in a very restrictive uh, society. 
and uh, I, I certainly like the premise. You know, it's got a great cast. It's got Liam Neeson as the old priest, uh, Adam Driver as one of the young priests, um, and Andrew Garfield, uh, who um, hasn't really been anything good for a while. Um, so hopefully this will be giving give him a chance to shine in a way that doesn't involve uh, swinging around on badly CGI'd spiderwebs. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Driver probably playing a kind of hipster priest. Um, <laughs> who was uh, into silence before it was cool, um, most likely. Yeah, well, it could be interesting to see how that turns up. I, I do realise I did say um, Jesuit priests on a mission as opposed to on mission, mm. with two different things, mission being a religious kind of quest, a mission, the Dirty Dozen, uh, although that would be quite cool, uh, Dirty Dozen with, with clergy. Um uh, we've got uh, what I see as the most unnecessary film of the year, uh, which is odd given that uh, Fast and the Furious 7 is out. Um, a film called The Walk, which uh, seeks to dramatise the um, famous tightrope walk um, performed by that crazy French guy across the uh, between the two uh, World Trade Centre buildings. Um, the reason it's pointless is because there was a film out a few years ago um, which called Man on Wire, which was quite popular. A lot of people saw it. And it was pretty fucking dramatic in itself. Yeah, but it didn't star Joseph Gordon-Levitt and have a supporting role for Ben Schwartz. So that's true. It didn't. Obviously, so. it is. Uh, it, it is inconsequential. Mm. If only Ben Schwartz plays John Raffio in it, then I would be uh, well behind it. Um, um, yeah, um, got a few other films uh, in tradition of the Short Reverse Shot podcast. I'm going to list a few films, Ed, and you're going to give me a score. Um, between one and six of how excited you are of their them coming out. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, Black Hat, the new Michael Mann film. Four. Midnight Special, the new Jeff Nichols film. Uh, six. Sea of Trees, got Brad Pitt in it. Three. Z for Zachariah. Four. Uh, Queen of Earth, which I've forgotten what it is. <laughs> uh, three. <laughs> Split the difference. <laughs> uh, the Revenant with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, two because it looks like Inuri two being serious. I can't stand that. We don't want that. (laughs) And last but not least, uh, Amy Poehler, Tina Fey in Sisters. Uh, Seven. Seven, absolutely. Seven out of six. Perfect score for Sisters. Um, uh, We're going to move on now to talk about uh, events on the small screen. Uh, As you know, here at Shot Reverse Shot, we're very enamoured by some of the stuff that goes on television these days. Uh, I've got quite a few um, shows that are returning that we're obviously big fans of. We'll kind of just mention them now but not dwell on them. Uh, Mad Men's finishing. That's going to be awesome slash sad. So is Parks and Recreation. I think it's going to be more sad. Mm, yeah, that one I think is going to be just tears for uh, for sort of seven weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah. Um, Game of Thrones is uh, just going to be weekly awfulness happening. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, settle in for that. Orange is the New Black is back. Um, which is pretty cool, uh, and Community, a the show that won't fucking die, um, but we've got like seven or eight hours worth of podcasts out about whether it has died or whether it's going to die. Um, so who knows what's going to happen to that this year, but it will probably be um, uh, cancelled and then renewed next year in a format you can only watch on a Casio digital watch from the 1980s. Um, it's kind of getting that way. Um, season seven is just going to be a series of gifts you can watch on Instagram. <laughs> I think that is, don't you're giving them ideas. Ed. That's 
don't do it. It's, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, some new shows. Um, uh, well, a semi-new show. We've got a spin-off. We've got Better Call Saul, which uh, when I first heard about it, I thought, mm, not a very good idea. Now I kind of think this is actually going to be quite fun. Yeah, I think Bob Odenkirk is a, a terrific comedic actor. I think that he, the character of Saul has potential to be a good a grounding for sort of a comedy drama sort of uh, because he's so inherently sleazy and so uh, watchable and you know it's got a lot of the same people who are involved in Breaking Bad coming back so as long as they don't try and infuse it with the same sort of weight as Breaking Bad had uh, I think it could still be fun in its own right um, I think but obviously it has the inherent problem of being a spin-off to a hugely successful and um, critically beloved show but um, I, I'm hoping that it will be just a really, really cool, fun show. Mm, me too. Um, what has the potential to be an incredibly cool show is something we don't really know an awful lot about. But what we do know about it is tantalising. There's three ingredients. I've, I've said tantalising a lot. I'm very tantalised uh, by 2015. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, but what is a uh, incredibly exciting prospect is these three things. HBO, we like that. Martin Scorsese. I'm listening. Mick Jagger making a uh, TV show about the seventies rock scene. Yeah, I think that that could be could be really great. Could be very very interesting. Uh, it's obviously an area of of uh, history that is uh, underexplored dramatically, and but at the same time, it's has it's probably filled with a lot of great and insane stories. Um, and also, the last time Scorsese was involved in. Uh, helping to usher a film a show in at HBO it was Boardwalk Empire so there's a lot of uh, of precedent for it being something to be excited about mm, that turned out alright didn't it Boardwalk Empire um, yeah so could be good um, we talked about Age of Ultron earlier and Ant-Man um, 2015 is also the year that Marvel takes over television I mean it's already got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on um, now it's going to take over Netflix yeah in a big way we get the uh, Daredevil TV series starting up very soon, which uh, hopefully will be good, although the uh, costume looks ridiculous <laughs> based on the stills that have been released. But hopefully that one will, will, will turn out to be very, very good. And then you've also got uh, just a bunch... I think they've got like four or five series <laughs> that are due to come out. I mean, Netflix in general this year is going to be a big year for them. I think they've got something like... Something, something like between 12 and 20 original shows are going to start on Netflix this year. Wow, which is just fucking crazy, um, and obviously I think that uh, Marvel is a big part of that. Uh, I, I'm really hopeful that the sort of more limited runs and the sort of greater freedom in terms of violence or in terms of uh, slower storytelling will make those shows a little more cohesive than, say, Agents of Shield, which everyone admits took a full sort of two thirds of its first season to get good. Mm. Um, Hopefully, so a more limited focus will will work wonders for them. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, HBO have also got uh, Togetherness, uh, the Duplass brothers, uh, kind of taking a kind of mumblecore aesthetic to um, to HBO. And I think with with stuff like Transparent last year, um, it kind of looks in a very similar mould. Yeah, I think that it, it definitely fits into their. HBO's kind of subgenre shows, which feel like little comedy drama independent films. You know, the the lineup they've got on Sunday for the next thirteen weeks, whatever it is, is 
girls togetherness and looking which all feel like a very similar kind of uh tone and a similar kind of aesthetic and um, i love the work the duplass brothers have done in film and i really do hope that uh that kind of funny but genuinely at, at times moving approach uh comes across in film in, in television and with the sort of greater canvas of being able to take characters and really explore them over a great length of time mm, absolutely um speaking of exploring characters over a great length of time um here's a tv show with it seems like it's only got one person in it um the very intriguing prospect that is uh last man on earth in which will forte plays seemingly the last man on earth um and in a very kind of comedic manner um the pilot is directed by uh lord and miller who as you know uh can kind of do no wrong with us um it looks pretty good doesn't it it does the sort of four minute preview that's been released online which has him going around a a supermarket messing up a uh an art gallery and then singing the national anthem while uh, standing in an empty baseball field has a kind of very kind of funny but also weirdly bleak tone sort of like a uh version of i am legend in which there's no vampires just boredom um but you know i, I think will forte can be you know hugely funny and entertaining character actor and also you know lord miller as as we say you can't really do wrong um, yeah. with those guys and i think we were talking before and it seems like a very limited premise i'm not sure how much they can get out of that but uh depending on what they do with it if it's going to be flashback heavy or if at a certain point he does meet other characters uh, i think there's potential for it to be one of the weirdest shows to air on a network in recent memory at the very mm. least um, we've got a show called Man Seeking Woman which is a very literally named show uh, the man in question is Jay Burrishell and I seem to like most things he does yeah I like the idea of someone taking a sort of very well worn premise which is obviously guy wants to find a woman has trouble with it and then putting it through a uh, kind of a very surreal weird lens you know Jay Baruchel as well is, is a great fun uh lead actor who also has kind of a very weird uh rhythm to him but uh and not not a lot of actors kind of have that certainly anyone who's seen him in uh this is the end will know he has a very kind of weird halting way of talking which i find very appealing yeah it also co-stars eric andre who is a comedian that i'm a big fan of i think he's again someone with a very very weird aesthetic that uh you know would really fit a kind of exaggerated surreal show um is a big um big year for late night uh in america we've got uh two shows uh two kind of hosts leaving and and replacements coming in we've got uh, stephen colbert taking over uh, from letterman and we've got james corden taking over from ferguson yeah i'm not too keen on corden although i do like the fact that he's hired reggie watts as his band leader which is just a, so so weird to see him going from being a band leader on a fake talk show to on to a real one um but yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of Stephen Colbert. I think he's an amazingly talented guy, just one of the most warm and funny and just like brilliantly talented guys imaginable. I think if anyone can shake up that kind of sort of very high-profile late-night traditional talk show thing, uh, I think he's probably one of the best choices to do that. Um, and so I'm I'm really excited to see what he does with a kind of a bigger budget and uh, a broader audience than what he's been doing even though i think it's kind of uh 
it's kind of pretty much certain at this point that it's not going to be as good as the Colbert Report because it can't be as high concept. But, you know, I think that there's plenty of room for someone to come in and do a really great late night show in the style of what Johnny Carson used to do and what sort of Letterman did in his early days. Yeah, I just wait for it to be about kind of 15 years in and he starts getting kind of uh, uh, people trying to blackmail him. <laughs> um, could happen. Um, uh, last TV show we're going to talk about is one that sounds very exciting, uh, especially if you're a fan of The Evil Dead, because Sam Raimi is returning to that milieu with a show called Ash vs. The Evil Dead. Yeah, a series for Showtime, I believe, or Stars. No, Stars is, uh, which is basically a continuation of the original... Evil Dead series, but on television, Bruce Campbell's back fighting against the Evil Dead. I'm not entirely sure how much uh, potential there is in that show, considering that uh, the although the original three films are a huge amount of fun, they are fairly limited in what they can do. But at the same time, I've got such uh, goodwill and such regard for those guys and what they did on the, the original films that I am really excited to see whatever the hell they do with with uh, television. Mm, absolutely um, well that's kind of film and television wrapped up quite nicely uh, with a little bow for you so you know feel free to kind of uh, take tentative steps into the terrifying realm of 2015 with at least some knowledge of uh, what to expect and uh, what to think is good and bad and uh, what will make more than 200 million dollars at the box office um, but before we go we thought we'd give you a rundown of, of what we're up to like I said at the top of the show we actually have planned uh, some shit this year. Uh, we're getting better at that. Last year we had the alternate 100, uh, which uh, those of you who watched it had a lovely time uh, learning about um, films that were kind of weird and unusual and kind of unspoken about um, uh, with our little 10 part rundown. We've got another 10 part um, series this year. Uh, we're going to be doing some artist profiles, uh, which is something we've wanted to do for a long time and haven't quite got round to it. And uh, we're going to talk about different artists each. Uh, month it might not be a director it might be an actor it might be a composer uh, we're not quite sure yet and um, we're going to talk about their work through five particular films uh, which were announced at the start of the month and you can watch along at home uh, and then we'll talk about them and uh, we've got our first one picked out uh, who's it going to be Ed? It is going to be potential best director winner Richard Linklater Yes um, uh, he has a, a kind of amazing body of work and a very interesting and varied body of work uh, so he seems like an ideal person to start with. Yeah, so uh, we're going to be talking about five of his films, some that are sort of kind of obvious choices that you would go for, but some that, you know, because he's someone who has kind of varied interests and has worked in different styles and genres, maybe kind of pick some atypical stuff to talk about, you know, the stuff he doesn't do so well. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, it's not going to be one big circle jerk. We will be criticising deeply where you must improve Mr Linklater because obviously... Uh, you need to um, what else have we got on the slate for this year we've got some kind of specials um, in talks, talking about kind of uh, uh, bodies of work and series of films yeah uh, the next episode of this one the one that will come out next week we're going to be talking about The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings um, and everything that went right with the uh, latter series and uh, what went wrong with the one that's just finished wrapping up uh, so we because you know you and I both in the past we talked about how much we like Lord, the Lord of the Rings films and how much we really don't like what happened with The Hobbit uh, so we kind of go, go in depth on that uh, you has been kind of working through the entire Disney back catalogue over the last year 
Mm-hmm. So we're going to do a big episode on Disney, which uh, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, we're going to talk about at a certain point, we'll be doing a big thing on Star Wars because, you know, Star Wars is big. <laughs> Star Wars is a big part of the culture. Oh, um, I really don't. Have, I, I really don't want to have to watch the prequels again. Uh, well, you can just try and track down like Topher Grace's supercut of it, mm, which apparently, yeah, really. apparently has made its way online. If you know where to look. All right. Okay. Um, we're going to do an episode uh, in uh, probably in May about Saturday Night Live. Yes, I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, which uh, we have some very ambitious uh, plans <laughs> for for that episode. Um, yeah. So that one, we're, we're, we're looking. I'm very much looking forward to doing that one. Uh, we've also got an episode where we're going to talk about uh, flops, films that uh, didn't do very well, films that were kind of cost a lot of money, lost a lot of money, and just kind of talk about why some films are kind of remembered for how big flops they are, like something like Ishtar, which everyone always cites as the example of a film that just did absolutely terribly and. I think only last year broke even, even though it came out in 1987. Mm. Um, or, or films like, uh, but but then other films like The Shawshank Redemption, which lost a huge amount of money, uh, go on to become kind of revered classics. Mm. Uh, and why that is. Yeah, um, that should be a very interesting episode. And we'll probably throw in some other episodes and, you know, Sod's Law being Sod's Law, someone we really like is going to fucking die suddenly. We're going to have to do a bloody obituary episode where we eat have to do all the time but yeah um yeah uh, but that's pretty much what we've got going on um so yeah i look forward to um having you join us uh, for that um if you've enjoyed the show and you enjoy the show in general please do subscribe to us on the itunes uh, and uh, give us a like on facebook follow us on twitter and generally just listen out for what we've got to say um i like ed said we'll be back next week with a uh, a middle earth episode um which should be pretty awesome because yeah, I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with it. Um, so uh, it should be fun. Uh, until then, uh, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs>